Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word handy, would you be turning to Genesis chapter 37? Genesis chapter 37, and we'll begin there in a moment. We are grateful for your attendance. Uh, We're grateful for our members who are here. We sometimes emphasize the visitors, but we're thankful that our members are here. We're grateful to our visitors as well. If you're visiting with us, uh, we hope that anyone and everyone can plan to be back with us this afternoon for our afternoon singing. Always an encouraging time when we can do that. A lot of our young men get up every once in a while. We even talk Lance Ritchie maybe into getting up and leading a song. So uh, I put the pressure on early on him this morning. So, uh, But we're thankful that you are here. Uh, i got to give credit to Ricky Ritchie. Many of you know that we've been having a feud for several weeks now. I've been giving him a hard time about putting pictures of his grandbabies up on Facebook. And so he won up me today and just brought one. So uh, we're thankful for, uh, for that, though. And for all of those who are in attendance, we said last week we'd love to hear the sounds of young children, uh, both uh, talking and crying and everything, because it's a good thing uh, when we have young people who are of all ages. We appreciate our our older teens who are here, but even the babies as they grow up, and we're just thankful that you're here this morning. We're ready this morning for what we would be the fourth in our series that we've started this year that we've entitled Sunday School Catch-Up. If you remember when we started back in January, it came from the idea that there are many people sometimes who who grow, who grow up and they have never attended church services, or maybe they went when they were very little, taken by their grandparent or their grandmother, and they forget a lot of things. And if you are a person who maybe later in life became a Christian and started attending church services, you look back sometimes and you have forgotten a lot of things. That, that happens to a lot of us regardless of whether or not we were raised attending Bible class. But, but I know sometimes there's a group of people who look and they say, you know, when the preacher says, Abraham... Everybody kind of nods in agreement, right? And, and I hear people say, well, well, I remember hearing that my whole life, and, and I don't remember hearing that my whole life. And I think it's good for us sometimes to go back and examine these things. We know that Paul would write in the book of Romans, whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. They're there so that we can go back and review them. You know what hasn't changed besides God? What hasn't changed? Mankind hasn't changed that much. Mankind's heart hasn't changed that much. We can learn a lot by going back and looking at the way that God has interacted with his people all throughout time. I sort of tried to come up with a a little bit of an outline or a a timeline, if you will, to touch on a few things we've already talked about. We began the the second week overall after we did kind of an introductory lesson talking about the creation. The idea that as we examine time, we might put creation around, of course, certainly a very broad number, but 4,000 B.C. That same week, we talked about the idea of the Garden of Eden and the fall of man all together in that moment. And I know those first two black bars at the bottom are spaced out a little bit, but they would really be, of course, very close together as it comes to time. I think it was even that same lesson where we looked at the flood, which would come forward a little bit. But as we think about time, it's kind of interesting to note, and you may have already done the quick math in your head if you're a math person, but to try to give us a little bit more of an example, if we go forward to the birth of Jesus, which we commonly will think about around you know zero, that kind of change in time as we think about as years have been counted, there is a good portion of years before the flood, before the flood even comes along. If you're like me and you open your Bible, you get to the flood in the first four or five or six pages, and it feels like that it's just a little sliver of time. But it helps us to note that there really is a a very large amount of time. They're not equal, and I didn't make them equal here on this little graph, but, but there are a lot of years before the flood 
And then there's still a, a good amount of time as we come to the birth of Jesus. Now, again, if you do quick math in your head, we're talking about the earth being around 6,000 years old, right? That's a whole other lesson for a whole other time. But when people talk about millions of years, sometimes it makes us cringe just a little. And that's not for just any reason. There's some good reasons behind that as we look at the Bible and we think about being in the year 2023. 4,000 years before that, the creation happening, then we're talking about a lot less than what many people say, and many people say it just out of ignorance, just out of habit, just because it's what they heard in school. And I'm, again, we're not going to focus on that this morning, but I'm encouraging you to consider that as you think about these things. About a month or so ago, we came back, and, and this is about 2,000 years between the flood and the time of where we're going to be this morning. And we would call that the time of the patriarchs. Hopefully that lesson stands out in your mind just a little bit more. If you remember, we brought up onto the stage the flannel graph, and we used some of the characters that many of you recall if you attended Bible school as a young person. And you remember your teachers teaching you that way. And with the patriarchs, we talked about Abraham... Isaac and Jacob and we touched on just a little bit the children of Jacob but that brings us then to a man that we have to focus on because by the way there are 13 chapters that are dedicated to this particular man and if you have your bulletin or outline in front of you you've already noticed who we're going to talk about but that of course is the man by the name of Joseph He's one of the greats, is he not? We spend countless hours talking with Joseph about our children. And I don't know the last vacation Bible school that you've been to that talked about Joseph, but he makes a pretty good study for a VBS. Why is that? Well, it's because there is so much to look at when it comes to the 13 chapters that cover his life that you can have different groups and there's the crafts and the things that you can talk about that go along with the vacation Bible school and Joseph makes a great study because so many people have already heard about him and as we think this morning about his life and then some application for our lives this morning we're just simply going to hopefully touch on some things that might be familiar to you. Let's begin this morning by talking about some highlights of his life. If you have a bulletin in front of you, we said Joseph's journey, because it is quite the journey. And if you want to follow along, we're going to examine some of those things, and we've given them all the letter P to begin looking at the idea of Joseph's journey or the highlights of his life. He begins, first of all, in the pit. In Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is found first in the tunic, or the coat of many colors. You see, when I suggest to you that people know Joseph, people know Joseph, right? Because there have been movies about Joseph and the coat of many colors. A lot of people know that story, even if they don't know what else surrounds it and comes after it. Joseph in the coat of many colors is maybe the most well-known portion of the story of Joseph. As we meet him in this coat, then we get what is the first of several couplets, let me get that right, the first of several couplets of dreams that take place. You remember that the reason his brothers want to throw him into the pit is because of his dreams about, first of all, the sheaves, and second of all, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And so this is the first time in these chapters that we meet a set, a couplet of dreams. His brothers don't like him. His brothers don't like his dreams, and so they threaten to kill him. 
There's so many details that we won't have time to dig into this morning, but we want to touch on. They threatened to kill him, but instead they decide to put him in the pit, and he is sold into slavery. So he leaves the pit, but then he goes secondly to Potiphar's house. And this is over in Genesis chapter 39. I'm going to have to give you broad designations and chapters, and if you would like to go back and review this, it would be a great thing for you to study in the coming week. But he goes to Potiphar's house, an officer of Pharaoh, chapter 39 and verse number 1, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, Potiphar, buys him. And by the way, he probably didn't know all that he was going to get, did he? I don't think he looked at him and said, well, this fellow is a little special. He probably just bought him. And maybe he bought from these people regularly, but he did not know what he was getting into. And that's in a good way, correct? Because the first thing that we read about when Joseph in Potiphar's house is that in chapter 39 and verse 4, Joseph found favor in his sight. He essentially becomes overseer of all that he has. And nothing, nothing is held back from Joseph except Potiphar's wife which lays the groundwork for the story that happens in the rest of the chapter as she doesn't get what she wants and she files, if you will, the false accusation against Joseph and then after Joseph is in Potiphar's house because of these false accusations, he meets prison, right? The third part of the section here we might say, chapters 40 and 41 is he meets prison. In prison, we get our second of the couplet of dreams from the chief butler and the chief baker. Do you remember that those emphasize around the number three? We talk about biblical numbers sometimes, and three is one of those. There are three, a vine and with three branches, and there are three baskets involved in both of those dreams. Joseph tells them the truth. With God's help, he is able to interpret the dreams, and he tells them the truth. And chapter 40 ends with the sad declaration that though the chief butler had promised to remember him and to speak for him, chapter 40 ends, he did not remember Joseph but forgot him. And when it is Pharaoh's couplet of dreams in chapter 41, do you remember those? Now we go to the biblical number of seven, the seven cows and the seven heads of grain. When Pharaoh's dreams come along, Joseph has a chance to rise into power. And Pharaoh says, only I will be greater than you, which leads to the last stanza of this story, which is Pharaoh. He is in Pharaoh's house, and he is basically almost as good as Pharaoh in standing of all things. Pharaoh says, it's only me that will be better than you. And we don't have time because this last section goes through verses, or excuse me, chapters 42 through 50. So we definitely don't have time to dig into all of those. But you may remember, if you've heard this before, that Joseph's brothers come to him in Egypt for food. He sends them back. They come back again. There's the cup that is involved. Joseph's cup is left in a knapsack as they are traveling. And in the end, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And it is a wonderful and beautiful sight. These are the highlights of Joseph's life. And it is quite the drama. We have said countless times that there are many Old Testament stories that would make a perfect movie. 
Not just a movie over the life of Joseph, but if you took two characters or you took one man and you gave this story to, to Steven Spielberg or, or some other writer or director that you want to pick that were to direct this movie, they could name the characters anything. And they could change the setting to the United States of America if they wanted, and it would still be something that might sell, that might sell tickets, because it is quite the passage of time and the story that goes all through all of these different sections. And I want you to keep that in mind as we think about Joseph. You see, as we begin to make application to our lives, we've got to try to think about all that he went through. Because when we think about the highlights of Joseph's life, we want to kind of pivot here and think about then the highlights for our life. Now, I'm going to say that I put an S on the end of that word, but really there's just one. We might just say there's really one highlight for our life as we think about Joseph. And it's one theme, if you will. But what we're going to do is take three different times that we see this theme occur in Joseph's life. If we were to take the story of Joseph and try to think about making application, we would see that Joseph's story is really about God's providence. It's really about God's providence I've been doing a lot of thinking about providence over the last couple of years for various reasons. I heard a preacher one time that did a great lesson on it, and it caused me to think about some things. And I wrote them down, and, and they became some descriptions that I use. I think we've talked about it a little bit in some of our Wednesday night classes. I've met people who look around them and think about their lives, and they say, this must be God's providence. And when we think about providence in the Bible, the place that we do not usually turn to is the story of Joseph. I think we kind of come around to it. I think when we really talk about him, we realize that there may be some providence involved there. But usually, usually it's the Queen Esther, right, that we do, that we think about, that we turn to when we think about God's providence. The idea that perhaps... You've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. You've taken this role. You can go to the New Testament and think about the book of Philemon, and there's a great example there. There's so many places that teach us about the providence of God. But that is the theme of Joseph's story, and I don't think we always think about it that way. And we'll get more to that in just a moment. Now, if you're following along in your outline in the bulletin, this is not the first set of blanks or the first point or the next set of blanks in your outline. But the first time that I think we can say that we understand God's providence in the story of Joseph is that God provided a way for mankind with simply food. I don't know if you've ever thought about God's providence working that way before, but that's certainly what we see here what were Pharaoh's dreams about? Well, they're about cows. They're about heads of grain. They're about a famine that is coming, correct? They're about the coming famine. And what was Joseph able to do? Not only was he able to figure out about the coming famine and with the dreams, but he's also able to help make the plan. He's also able to help come up with a plan so that the people would have food. The children of Israel... I guess so, yeah, right? Egypt? Well, I guess so, right? Everyone can have food because Joseph is in this position. In fact, in chapter 41, in verse number 38, Pharaoh says to his servants, Can we find such a one as this? 
a man in whom is the Spirit of God. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Joseph in this position. And because Joseph is here, God provides a way for the people to survive and for there to be enough food. And by verse 55, Pharaoh says to all of Egypt, what does he say? He says, go to Joseph. That's who you need to see. Whatever he says to you, do it. Because God is obviously providing through him. It may seem trivial. It may seem simple to you. But God provided food for the people. Side note, I don't know if you remember about three years ago when we, I remember vividly standing in the middle of Food City trying to make sure I was going to get toilet paper for my family, right? Anybody remember that? Can I suggest to you that this goes beyond supply chain issues? God provided food, but he did because they were going to have a famine for seven years. I know that that drought of food or supply, supply chain issues or toilet paper felt like forever. And by the way, I never got in a fight in the middle of Food City. Just make that clear too. But, right, we were all searching because we were worried there wasn't going to be, the, be enough. And there was enough. Maybe it was a bit of a struggle. Maybe it cost a little more. Maybe they didn't have exactly what we wanted. But seven years of famine was coming, and God provided through the man, Joseph. Secondly, God provided a way, not just for mankind for food, but for the Messiah. You see, it's easy to think about Joseph. Joseph is one of the greatest men in the Old Testament. He is. And when you go through characters that you want to study in the Old Testament, it's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and it's usually Joseph. And we've said that everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards the Messiah, right? The theme of the Old Testament is Jesus is coming and pointing towards the Messiah, But if I'm thinking about catching up, right, Sunday school catch up, if I'm thinking about that, we can know all of the stories just mentioned as we went through the highlights of his life, but it helps to know and to understand the place of those stories, not just in the timeline, not just around 2000 BC or or whatever it might be, but it helps to know their place. And one of the things that we don't mention to our six-year-olds is the place of Joseph in the line of Christ. And his place is, he's not there. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2? The New Testament opens with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, which Joseph was one of those brothers, right? But why don't we find Joseph's name in Matthew chapter 1 right there? Great man, great stories, 13 chapters. Why don't we find his name there? Because as great as he is and as great as his story is, he's not it. He's not the promised bloodline. The key person as we go through the Old Testament is Judah and not Joseph. Joseph is important. God could not, I guess he could have found a different way, but God provided food for the people through Joseph. But Judah is the key figure in the sense that he is the one that's going to continue with the bloodline. But here's the thing. Judah's not a great guy, at least not as we meet him here. In Genesis chapter 37, when Joseph is down in the pit and his brothers, what are they doing? They're eating lunch. 
They're kicked back, taking it easy, eating lunch while he's suffering here in the pit, wondering what's going to happen to him. And it is Judah that says, let's just sell him into slavery. Let's just sell him. We'll do that. And there's a small math problem if you've been keeping score at your seat and looking through. Because I told you that there were 13 chapters devoted to Joseph. But his story begins in in chapter 37, and it goes through chapter 50. And if you do your quick math, that's 14. And the kicker is, is that we forgot, for the sake of Joseph's story, we didn't forget, excuse me, but for the sake of Joseph's story, we often skip over chapter 38. You know what chapter 38's about? It's about Judah. And it's about Judah not being a very good guy. It's a story that I would suggest that maybe you can go home and look at. Parents, I would not suggest that you let your, your children do it on their own. You can go home and read it. But Judah's not exactly the shining example of what a person should be. Of course, as we know, looking back through the bloodline, not everybody is all the time, right? Even great David was not great all the time. Judah has some issues, and we see them here on at least two occasions. But Judah is the key character in the sense that he is the promised seed that the bloodline will come through. He's not the one, of course Jesus is, but he has to survive. God provided a way for him to survive with the food, but he also provided a way through his providence in the story of Joseph for the Messiah. But number three, as we mentioned having three examples here, God provided a way for Israel to get to Egypt. Did you notice the title? If you picked up a bulletin and you're following along there, did you notice the title? On the way to Egypt. Because that's where we're going. If you do know some of your Old Testament history, you know that we've got to get to Egypt. We've got to get to Exodus so that they can leave. Everybody knows. I made a joke the other day about we're going to have movie night. We're going to watch the Ten Commandments. And everybody's like, the Ten Commandments? Why would we watch the Ten Commandments? Right? Because it's a long movie, but everybody knows it because it comes on at least once a year on your TV possibly. And everybody knows that there's the Exodus. How do we get there? It's the story of Joseph. He set them up to be great. In fact, in Genesis chapter 45 and verse number 5, he tells his brothers, don't be upset at yourselves. Don't be mad at yourselves because you did this to me. For God sent me before you to preserve life. By the way of food? Yes, I would say so. And by the way of getting to Egypt. Whose life did he preserve? Judah's? Yeah. Egypt's people in Egypt their enemies or who will be their enemies yeah and yes the children of Israel so that they can make it to their next stage because of Joseph's authority in Egypt he is able to help his family move to Egypt that's what occurs at the very end of this in chapters 49 and 50 and here's the thing things are good the children of Israel seem to be free they seem to be prospering And that helps us as we think about providence. Because when we think about providence, we need to understand that we usually make it a good thing. We usually make it a good thing, but we need to remember and understand about God's providence that God works it for good, but it may not always be for my good. The way that we treat providence is somebody says, well, you know, I found my spouse by God's providence. I found my wife. I found my husband because of God's 
providence. Somebody says, I took a job. I took another job and I moved and it was great because of God's providence. Somebody else says, I survived cancer. I was sick and they told me I had no time to live, but I survived and it's because of God's providence so that I could be here for this particular moment. Someone else says, it's by God's providence that I quit my job. And we were just fine. We moved to an entirely different area. We call it a leap of faith, don't we? When it works. right? Somebody moves and, the, and they, all this happens and they say, well, I took a leap of faith. But why do they say that? It's because it works. It's God's providence. And the point is, those things could be God's providence. They could be. They could be. But what we need to remember about Joseph and his story is that it's not just a feel-good story about being a good person and then good things happen. Sometimes we tend to boil down the story to the very minimum kind of idea. And if you remember, if you were with us last week, what did we say when we talked about lowering that bar? We said sometimes we lower the bar until it's just be nice. And sometimes we look at Joseph's story and we say Joseph was just so good that he was, he was a good person and good things happened to him. And that's true, I think, in a sense. But my understanding needs to be that God will work it for good, even if it's not my good. There is a lot, a lot of suffering in Joseph's story. What we do is we imagine him standing proudly, right, with his shoulders back and his chest puffed out. And we imagine him proudly standing in Potiphar's house looking over everything that's happening around him. Or we imagine him proudly standing next to Pharaoh and him saying, this was God's providence for me. But do you think that he said that when he was in the pit? Do you think that he said that in the false accusations? Do you think that he said that when he was in prison? And we skipped over one verse in chapter 41 in verse number 1 where it tells us that from the time he interpreted the butler and the baker's dream until the time he gets to Pharaoh is two years. Two years. In prison, wrongfully accused. Do you think he sat there every day going, this must be God's providence for me? Maybe not. Maybe not because it's a struggle. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 that we know, we can know, that all things work together for good to them that love God. But when do we say that? Because the truth is, we need to say it all the time. God is working for good, though it may not always be my good in the moment. If you have something good happen to you, it may be God's providence. If you have something bad happen to you, it may be God's providence. And it would help us to remember that as we think about the story of Joseph. The question may be, why is this worth our time then? You know, if Joseph's just kind of a side character in the sense that it's really all about Judah, why would we spend time at vacation Bible school? Why would we spend time with our children? Why would we spend 30 minutes this morning talking about it? Why should we teach our children? And I think there's one really good reason why it's still important for us to look at the story of Joseph even outside of providence. And that is because the book of Exodus opens with a very sad picture. And that is in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 6 when the Bible says, and Joseph died. We need to study this because the scales tipped when he died. 
How do you think things went for the children of Jacob, the children of Israel, after that statement in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 6? You don't have to go very far to figure it out. Verse 12 of chapter 1 says they were afflicted by their Egyptian leaders. Verse 14 says their lives were made bitter. And by verse 16, it tells us that they were actually killed. That's how it started going for the children of Israel after Joseph died. And what changed? Verse 8 tells us there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Judah. Well, no. Judah was important, but he did not know Joseph. That's how great a man Joseph was, both in the good times and the bad. Both when he felt like standing there with his chest puffed out and saying, this is God's providence, and probably when he marked on the wall another day in the course of two years that he sat there waiting to be remembered by God. As some of us sometimes look around and say, where is God when I need him? That's how great of a man Joseph was because when he died, everything changed. And we know what will come after that, and that's something that we'll begin examining as we continue to move forward in this series. It's important that we know him and that we learn from him. It's because of him that Judah lived. It's because Judah lived that the lion of Judah came into the world. And it's because the Lion of Judah came and died that we can obtain salvation. See, it truly is connected. It really is. It's all connected for our good. Because God was working all of it for good, even if it wasn't good for Joseph in the moment. Even if it's not good for us in the moment. He was working all throughout the Old Testament, and he's still working today. So that we can obtain salvation by being obedient. If you're here this morning and you have never been added to the church, added to the body by God because you have never been baptized for the remission of your sins, we sing to encourage you. We usually try to emphasize that we would study with you as soon as possible this afternoon if we can to help you understand the importance of becoming a New Testament Christian the way that God has told us to in his word. We usually put it up here on the screen for you to glance at quickly. But if you want to know more, we would study with you as soon as possible. You can have your sins washed away by the blood of Christ so that you can be added to the church. And you can begin to live faithfully. But like Joseph and many other people, life is a roller coaster. It's a series of ups and downs. And if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, but you have struggled, you have wandered away, that's okay. Because we have time and opportunity right now to make our life right. If you're here and you are a Christian, but you need the prayers of the church, maybe you need to be forgiven of something that you've committed in a public way. You can come forward to the front in just a moment, and one of our elders will be here to pray with you and for you. We're simply thankful for the opportunity to make our lives right, to be on the path to heaven above, to be being obedient, either by becoming a Christian or coming back to him as we stand together and as we sing.